Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today by Algie Hall. How are you doing, Algie? Hi, very well, thanks, John. Excellent. And Phil Oakley, how are you doing, Phil? Very good, thank you. Good, good, good. Right, so there's been lots going on uh, this week, lots of profit warnings, and I think we're going to discuss one of those in particular, Sumero, which you've written about in your Alpha report. We're also going to talk about your stock screen this week, Algie, which mm-hmm. is focused on large cap quality, which I know is a, a, is a theme that, that uh, Phil likes to explore uh, frequently. Certainly the, the theme behind your fantasy sip, which continues to do very well. And uh, I'm going to talk about cycling, because I know you love cycling, Phil, and uh, we've got a big uh, sex focus on fitness, the fitness market, uh, because we have a big IPO coming up in the US of a company called Peloton, which I'm sure you're aware of. Yeah. Let's start with uh, quality and the stock screen. So, Algy, you've uh, talked through what you've done this week because because you've kind of taken a sort of slight change of tack here. Well, yeah, it's actually last year I looked at this stock screen and I felt I compelled to take a change of tack. I mean, it did it did very well for um, a number of years. But it had this kind of valuation criteria where it was looking for quality and um, and an attractive valuation, which is um, often very wishful thinking. <laughs> so, um, so I, and anyway, so last year um, I ran the screen and it came out with um, practically all house builders and the screen had been creeping more toward in this direction over the years. And it was just like, it's gone too far. It has to, we, it, things have to change. This goes back to the, um, the principle that you wrote about recently, Phil, which is that the numbers don't always tell you everything. Numbers might look good and suggest quality when it's perhaps not there. Indeed. I think trying to buy quality at a cheap price is almost impossible in this market. Yeah. especially has been for some time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's definitely what it kind of, so a year ago it seemed like this, yeah, it was a complete joke, the output from this screen. Well, I think what you end up with actually, and I've not, I've not looked at your screen yet, is that you end up with what I, what I've, a new term of mine, which is quality traps, Ooh. where you end up with businesses on a, this is on a pure numbers basis without knowing anything about and obviously we're talking about screening here and highlighting the risks of just looking at numbers but you can end up with businesses particularly cyclical businesses mm-hmm. which are making very good profits at the top of the cycle and look very cheap <laughs> And they'll come up very nicely on exactly. your screen. And, and there's the, a and, very, and that, very good reason for the price the market puts on them. And, and yeah. actually, Samero, which we've already mentioned, which we're going to talk about, yeah, is classic. a very good yeah. example Indeed of that. Indeed it is, yeah. Sorry, let's carry on, Algae. Well, well, what have you done there? Well, well, so anyway, last year, I, I just felt this is ludicrous. This isn't a quality screen at all. It's, yeah, late stage cyclical screen. Um, and, um, so I changed the valuation criteria to look for reassuringly but not excessively expensive shares based on a, basically a peg type measure. Um, and I mean, you know, when, when the screen started out, when, which was in 2011, you could actually get qualities, you know, it was coming up with names which you would associate with being quality companies. Um, which were looking good, attractive on a peg type measure, but, um, it just doesn't happen anymore. And, and, and anyway, um, you know, sometimes it's, you know, cyclicals will outperform quality shares, but in recently that's definitely not been the case. And, um, the results from last year's screen where we've got the old criteria delivering a, delivering a minus 0.1% total return versus, um, the choices from the new criteria producing a 21% total return. Um, it kind of bears out that actually, if you're going to, you know, as Phil was saying, you've, you've got to pay for quality, especially late on in a bull market as we are now. 
And it, you know, and, it, and, it, and it's paid off over the 12 months the screen's looked at. And they are the names, I mean, looking at last year's selections, names that you would expect. Yeah, so yeah, Diageo, um, uh, Relics, Unilever and um, Beck, uh, Reckitt Benkiser, which, you know, ha- does have a few issues, but um, they, yeah. And, and then it's a bit more diverse this year. We've got um, only, I mean, three, there, there are um, more. I've, I've, I've kind of done an extended list of... Um, uh, Shares, but only three, three of them passed all the tests of the screen, and they're Diageo, Games Workshop, and Spirit Sarco. Ah, Diageo. Which, uh, Diag- Diageo, yeah, Diageo. It's a proper old reliable, really, isn't it? <laughs> and I mean, you know, they, all, all of the, I, I suppose Games Workshop, maybe I felt in terms of writing them out up, is possibly quite interesting just from the fact that it's um it's kind of been through this period of recovery and now it, the question is can it achieve um you know growth at, at whilst generating really quite high returns mm. and there's a bit of an unknown because it's a niche that's why it's a quality company because it dominates a niche is that effectively and, and so the, how, how valuable is its intellectual property how international is it all those kind I of think it's a very interesting company actually yeah and no, i think workshop i think it's in a a very very sweet spot, and uh, just a bit of sort of scuttlebutt for the, for the listeners. I was uh, a friend of mine paid a visit to a competitor of, of Games Workshop's private company, called, which is uh, Warlord Games, and um, he went around the factory. You would, if you were a shareholder in Games Workshop, you would come away feeling quite happy because. <laughs> Because I think the market is incredibly buoyant. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things for, for Games Workshop is that it is tapping into a very powerful theme, a powerful wave of demand for its products. And, of course, it makes all its own stuff. It makes mm-hmm. a lot of its own stuff. It's got a factory in Nottingham. And so you've got this classic sort of operational leverage story as well. Once you've made the moulds for these figures the marginal cost of making the next toy soldier or whatever you're making is very small. But it's plastic. Uh, it's a tiny bit of plastic. Yeah. But the, the scale economies and the operating leverage on a business like this is, is pretty powerful. And, I, I and remember the, I used to cover this stock. In fact, I, I, I love this screen analogy because I tipped two of these three companies <laughs> years ago, Diageo and Games Workshop. And, and in Games Workshop, it, it, it was a scuttlebutt type thing. And uh, sort of, it, it was a bit overlooked at the time. People didn't really oh, like the been, story. And... It's been overlooked for, for you know, years because it was so unfriendly to the stock market. It, it was... and even their product launches were basically how they, when, when and where they wanted to launch it. There was a bit of controversy. Really there was a bit of controversy at the time, though, which was that it, 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 when the market decided it didn't really like Games Workshop, there was a bit of a falling out with its customers because it switched from metal models to the plastic ones, which went down very badly. But they've recovered from that, and you know. Well, I mean, its 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 core customer base is incredibly loyal, and I think they um, what part of this kind of revival of fortune since um twenty fifteen, they changed the they kind of slightly watered down the rules to one of their role playing games, and there's a panic outcry. But I mean, um, <laughs> I mean, for me though, the big the big risk of this company is it, it is, or seems to be, incredibly dependent on one theme. Which is the mm-hmm. Warhammer thing? Yeah, I mean, it's, but, but it's, it's got a yeah. massive market. It's international. Yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. Yeah, it's you know this but is a global it, but, phenomenon. But, but if it ever cools, if enthusiasm for this product ever cools, or then you will see it. You will see it show up 
There will always question, there will always be young boys interested I mean, I, in. I, 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 sp- I suppose one, on on one side of it, you say, you know, is is it a you know a fad like um I, I don't know. Well, loom bands is what comes to mind. Well, there'll be an enduring base there. You but I mean, then then you look at something like um you know the way comic books have been turned into this. You know, the IP has been exploited in ways people would never have dreamt of about 10 years ago. Well, that's an interesting aspect and, um, of this story, isn't it? The, the, the exploitation of their intellectual property beyond the sort yeah, of core business of selling fantasy figures. So this is what you do. You're getting behind the numbers here, which is exactly what we what oh, people, yeah. people should do. I think it's super business. Already. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean with, with, with stock screens, it's, it, it, it is the first step always. So, I mean, yeah, and sometimes you'll get, you'll get something really interesting. Whether, and sometimes you'll get utter rubbish. Yeah, I, mean, I, <laughs> I think the only, thing, the only thing that sort of... You know, you think about a Games Workshop is, you know, you compare Games Workshop, say, with a Diageo, and you mm. think, you look at you look at the demand patterns for a, for Diageo, and they're pretty steady. And you just you ask yourself, could you could you sort of have a rough back of the envelope stab at how much money Games Workshop's going to make in five years' time compared with Diageo, I'm, I think yeah. it's quite difficult. It would be, yeah, very. I mean, that that's the thing. I mean, it can and could be a lot you, more or a lot less. You've got you that speculative development because I mean, because also, if it, I mean, it's having to invest in its business now, so returns will drop, but they should still be handsome from um, from Games Workshop. But it's it's, and, um, it's, it's adding fifty yeah, percent more space to, to capacity because there's so much demand. It's got to, you know. But um, I mean, that's 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 great news, really, because you want a company like this to be able to invest in growth yeah, and, and if the that, growth is there I mean it's and once that, it's so compelling once that but, capacity utilisation of that oh, new yeah. facility you're going to get a nice kicker on it quite yeah years of improving returns after yeah after, after the initial investment yeah. Um, but yeah it's there, almost a unique asset on the stock market I'm trying to think is there anything else which sort of plays that kind well, of theme well, I mean if you go back you had you had something like Hornby which is not massively different in, in sort of in terms of like the sort of philosophy and trend behind the business it was a, it's a hobby type of business yeah. with international appeal um, which was totally ruined well it was wrecked by the team. <laughs> it, yeah. it was so, so but, you know that, that's also, something something, something like Hornby is a bit more like something like Port Merion they're kind of collectibles rather than I mean this is these um, you know toys have narratives behind them and they, they do kind of books are you suggesting that, that are you suggesting that various toy locomotives do not have <laughs> deep stories behind them because they do I'll tell you I'll <laughs> <I'm sorry, laughs> take it all back more fun with an Intercity 125 <laughs> and a teacup <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, there, there was a great documentary. I think I've mentioned it before about what happened to Hornby, um, and yeah. it, it was just bad management. Oh, it's it, it, very, very sad. It. Very, very sad. What happened to there? You think mm. of the brands that you know they had Hornby, Scale Electric. They bought Airfix as well. Mm. All these sort of iconic brands, and they just they completely messed up their manufacturing. They stuck all their molds. They they outsourced everything to China, they did. and then they chucked all their molds away. Yeah, all their factories of the job. Yes, it was it's shocking. So, so bad management is bad, bad management. That's what we want to be watching out for here. Bad decisions, and and so far, no sign of them. So, so uh, far, everything's going well. It looks like. Should we, should we talk a little bit about, about Spyrax, Spyrax Sarco? Because I know that's one that that you've written about in your column, Phil. Uh, that's also popped out of this screen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's expensive, and I, and I know you've looked at it with that in mind yeah. previously another great business but one of my favourite businesses actually I think this is what if you if you ask me to name you know 
a short list of outstanding businesses listed on the London Stock Exchange, this would be close to the top of the list. Mm. Too expensive, it's, though? It's very expensive. Um, but an example of... I just, I just like everything this company does in the... Mm-hmm. Not not just from the numbers, the numbers that come from it being a fantastic business and that the products that it makes, it is a classic problem-solving productivity business enhancer. It's a bit, yeah. a bit jargonistic, but it, it's very good at solving problems and making things better for its customers. And it, and it um, is utterly superb at getting inside its customers' businesses and working with them and building long-term partnerships with them, which means they get a lot of repeat business. And it's, um, it's got its, it's got its, um, it's got its fingers in many pies. So it's very much a play on global industrial production. So it will occasionally have its ups and downs, but it's proven to be an incredibly resilient business. And I think that is why, this is a business along with other types of business that in the last 10 years people have been prepared to pay higher and higher prices for. I mean, there's been a few worries recently. And uh, well, the graph, I mean, this, 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 uh, well, I mean, this stock screen is peppered with fantastic uh, graphs illustrating the, the financial points you're making. But, but there is a little bit of a softness in the forecast. What, what, I, what I've um, tried to illustrate, well, it's, it's the valuation point. This is a, you know, without doubt, a great company, you know, it, a standout quality play, but the um, the the ratings got so high that there is um, it's uh, there's been a ten percent share price fall on the back of um, slightly soft half year results, it which a, was one percent downgrade or something. It had a problem. It has a business called Chromalock. Yeah, the Europe. Yeah. So, and there was a problem with problem with this business in terms of things being not as good as they as they wanted to be. Yeah, it's the European this, losses, isn't it? Yeah. So the the core sort of steam business and the the, the Watson Marlow pumps business doing doing okay. Uh, it's the Chromalox business, which is part of the steam business, which has been which is a, an acquisition they made two or three years ago, which has not been going well. And hence, you didn't get and you didn't get an upgrade. You you didn't get an upgrade to forecast, which when you were trading on. Getting close to mid thirties forward mm. price earnings ratios, you needed one, and you didn't get one. Yeah, and and, and the, yeah. the title of this uh, this graph is uh, the price of less than perfect. So when when shares are so highly rated, when the expectations are so high, yeah. any any weakness can 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 send a, and, a shiver it, through the stock. And it's still yeah. on twenty nine times forward earnings. So, I mean, you know, it's kind of like you've, you you've had quite a large fall in share price terms, but it's the shares are still you you know you struggle to describe them as cheap. I think. Is, is, I mean, is this <laughs> a problem say, with, despite the underlying quality? Is this a problem with buying quality more generally? That, yeah, yeah, definitely. The, the big risk is a very small disappointment can see a big share price drop. Yeah, it is. But also, you you have an issue where. You look at the underlying growth rates of a lot of these businesses, Spirax, Unilever, Reckitt Benkiser, Diageo. Th- these businesses aren't racing away because a lot of them are big. They're already big and it's hard for them to get much bigger. People are paying high prices for dependability. It's the sort of bond proxy, bond-like argument. People believe or they're subscribing to the view that these companies' profits and cash flows are so safe 
so dependable and growing that they are incredibly valuable. You have to subscribe to that to buy into this. And so far, that's paid off. But you're absolutely right. If we get a situation where the profits stop growing or don't grow as much by expected, there's nowhere to hide in these companies. And, um, you know, I've I've banged on about this for, for months now, that this is the big risk that if you look at some of the best performing funds out there in the market in the UK, these global blue chip growth funds are owning these steady state chuggers, as I call them, highly profitable, dependable businesses. The prices now are incredibly high. The valuation is incredibly high. You've had a currency benefit for them as well. That's something you talk about in your Alpha report this yeah. week. And there is a concern that, I mean, Sterling is obviously on his knees at the moment. You know, any sign that uh, you know, the political environment might, might get a bit yeah, better, yeah. you know, you could see the pound bounce back against currencies Absolutely. like the dollar. And that could be bad news for some of these. Very bad news. You know, you've, you go from having a following wind to a headwind. And, you know, you just have to look at the S&P 500 as an example of this, that... You know, when I when I wrote my sort of main article for the magazine this week, I think the S and P was up just under sixteen percent in dollar terms. But if you own an S and P S and P five hundred tracker, you're up twenty three. A little bit of dividend in there, but not much because the yield is not. So you're getting six six and a bit percent currency benefit added on top. And you look at you look at these funds, the the Linzel Trains, the Fundsmiths, the Smithsons. Huge exposure to dollar dollar earners, dollar-listed stocks, and there has been a big currency kicker there. Still done fabulously well. Not going to take away any of the performance benefit from their stock picking, which has still been extremely good, but there has been a very favourable following win for this style of investing. Mm. Guess we always keep an eye on, uh, on, on currency then with, uh, with these very large dollar earners in particular. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you mentioned actually before we came onto the podcast uh, that uh, Nick Train had uh, had made a quite an unusual investment uh, yeah. in the last week or so, which which sort of goes off off style for him. Well, it's it's a bit on, and it's a bit off because um, he's bought the they've been buying into Prada, which is listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, and it's sort of the luxury goods theme. So they are they already are investors in Burberry, so that's it's a it's a kind of area that they know pretty well. Um, but Prada has not been as... Nick Train's whole philosophy has been buying, and this is to use his phrase, buying businesses that have already won. And Prada has had um, a very rocky time. Its shares are down about a third over the last 12 months. Things have not been going that well for it. And he is essentially buying in because he believes it can become an excellent business which to me is a slight change of strategy for him because he's not buying a business that's already won. He's buying a business that he thinks should be winning. Mm. And um, it's going to be very... If it comes off, you know, he, you know, his hope will it be that it'll be a make a lot of money for him. But maybe it's a reflection of the fact that he's had a look around the market and looking, for, looking at the prices of businesses that have already won and thinks they're too high. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it does have that sort of flavour about it. Which is interesting because, you know, to be fair to him, um, he doesn't buy stuff very often. I think the last thing that he bought was 
racking my brains here. I think it was Remy, Remy Quantro. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Let's stick with uh, another big dollar earner, but one that's uh, that's not done so well uh, of late, which is Sumero. So Sumero makes concrete levelling equipment. Screeding, yeah. Screeding. Yeah, sort of thing that if you go into you know a building and you want to make your concrete floors nice and nice and smooth and flat and level. You get one of their machines out and does the job for you. Yeah, they didn't use one in my extension, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Um, but it's but it's had a bit of a, a bit of a take. The shares have taken a bit of a tumble this week. I think they've halved, haven't they? This year, if you look at the share price yeah. chart, are they halved pretty, pretty much halved. Pretty much. What, what's going on? We had yeah. What's going on? So we, we we referred earlier to the idea that this might be a quality trap. I think it is. It is a it is a one of these businesses. If you just look at the numbers, it it is very very profitable. If you if you look if you like looking at numbers like profit margins, return on capital employed, big ticks when it's going well. This is a business that obviously it's heavily plugged into construction activity. So when people are building lots of things, demand for their machines and their spare parts and all their other bits of kit is very, very high. And you've got a lot of, you know, you've got quite a lot of operational leverage in this business as well. So changes in sales and profits, profits move more than, the changes in profits move more than the changes in sales. Yeah, so there, so there was a big operational gearing effect um, here. So revenue's down 13 and a bit percent, pre-tax profits down nearly 23%. Yeah. And this is, this is a business where, you know, I always say when you're looking at investing in any business, Go and look. First thing you do is you look at recession resilience, and you go and look at the last recession, and you have a look at what these companies perform like when things are going bad, and then you ask yourself: Is this business any different to what it was then? What has it done to sort of protect itself from that going forward? And if it hasn't, if it's basically the same business, then you have to think that it's vulnerable to a to a a downturn and what we've seen this year is we've seen um this company makes most of its money in america um it does have businesses in europe middle east china but most of its money most of its sales are being made in 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 america and we've had some bad weather had some bad weather in the spring uh, in america and that led to a downturn in demand um, which was the first big sort of profit warning that we saw in June. And then we have the half-year results this week, and um, there has been a sort of... It's very interesting when you look at companies going off at a tangent here that it's often not what the company says, but sometimes what it doesn't say. And you look at, like, the range the range of the sort of revenue forecast for the year, and and, and I think that the, the range has broadened a little bit with a sort of lower downside number and whilst there's a lot of optimism about orders coming through in the second half of the year um the profits the profits aren't coming through uh, for the, for this business i mean it says it says that the uh the us non-residential construction market remains healthy yeah and that that that's what we're largely seeing so what what is going wrong? Well, the European business is a bit is a lot weaker, right? Um, there has been some delays in orders elsewhere in the world. 
and you have a situation where you've lost you know you've lost orders in the first bit of the year and you're not probably getting enough business coming through to make up for that i mean all says i mean this company doesn't really have any or much follow on revenue does it it doesn't no after sales you mean i don't think it's got much in the way of after sales so it is actually just selling these bits of kit up front and then they do a rent do they have a rental arm maybe or um but, but anyway i mean yeah so sales sales can i think can fall like really horribly well you've seen it you've seen it in the numbers you know the sales are off sales are off 13 percent in the first half of the year so yes, yeah you know you yeah. are reliant on selling machines yeah that and that is the that is the bread and butter of this business I mean, what, just not i mean i mean that's yeah kind of classic um you know would, it, road there is, ruin in a, it is, but in, there, in a down there is, cycle there is some aftermarket but it's not you know it's not the, the Signif- big big part yeah. of it i mean you basically feel you know look back at a previous recession and see if the business has changed yeah what can a business that's inherently cyclical like Samero, or there's there's many other industries that, that we look at that are inherently cyclical. What can they do not to a lot, protect themselves? Not a lot is the answer. I mean, one of the answers is to develop an aftermarket business. Yeah, or can get, turn into a rental business, not yeah. not actually sell the sell the kit. Yeah, but, you know, still have cyclical. It, yeah, exactly. You yeah, no, no. You would, yeah, you know, for a rental business, you know, first things that happens when is that you give, no, then you, 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 own, you own, yeah, yeah, you've got all the capital. So right. no, it's plugged in to a cyclical industry construction, so you can't get away from this. So, you know, you look at a business like this, if you were running a screen. It would look amazing. Yeah, it looks amazing amazing at the moment. You know, it looks amazing. You've got incredible levels of profitability on a single-digit price-earnings ratio. (laughs) You see, my view view is that, you know, the market doesn't give away free lunches like this very often. And it's the same with house builders. You know, house builders look great on a a screen like that. And... um, you know, if something looks too good to be true, it often is. Yeah, and it, I mean, it seems it seems kind of perverse saying I want to pay more for something, but I mean, at the moment, definitely, if you if you're looking for quality, don't, well, yeah, my, don't don't think it's going to be that. You know, how, on how the does cheap. this business grow really? Because you know, you've had a big following wind in this market in its core market for the last eight, nine, ten years. The Chinese market. Has promised a lot, but it's never come through. The European market's gone a bit soggy, mm-hmm. and things like the Middle East seem to be very lumpy, and you know you never seem to get a consistent trend going on there. And you know you ask yourself, this is this a company? Is this like a house builder? Really, is this like a Barrett Developments or or a Persimmon, where the good money's been made for now, and Actually, this is this is as good as it gets mm. profit wise. Mm. You know, you don't know, but you but you are. You have to think that on a lot of cyclical businesses, you look at what's going on in the world economy, and you think it's slowing down. It's not really take a rocket science to think that perhaps things have been as good as they can be for now. Yeah, I'm, I'm often struck out of you by the commentary around your stock screens, where where you are having to kind of work out. The cyclicality behind the stories, that behind the numbers that are, that are coming oh yeah, out. well I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a common theme. Yeah, no, no, yeah, you've got it. They, they have to be seen, explained, and seen in context. And I mean, we, you know, with, with the stock screen column, the whole point is to cover a very broad suite of approaches. I think the so whole point not, of the stock screen is that it's your first step. 
Yeah, or, it's your way or, in. Or, or it's, yeah, it's, it's a, a come it's, by... an, it's an idea generator. Yeah, it's not a painting by numbers exercise. Yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't just. I mean, well, I mean, I, you know, obviously there are those, you know, black box style investors, you know, quants and stuff who do have strategies based on, you know, criteria. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, always, as I always say in the columns in the magazine, you know, this is these are not presented and I think you know they, these aren't presented as off the shelf portfolios or they but some would work as quant strategies I'm, I'm well, sure yeah indeed exa- shorts <laughs> <laughs> you- yeah I mean the, the, with quant strategies though the thing is these things when you look at them I mean they're you know some of the numbers over the long term are good but um like they're incredibly volatile a lot of them so I mean I, d- I don't know if people would be bailing out of the quant strategies the thing is, the thing is with this kind of thing is you end up with a huge amount of churn as well. Yeah, yeah. If you you'd are, be re- if you are, yeah. you're going to invest like this, you are turning over huge chunks of your portfolio every year to meet to meet us. Yeah. Well, that's why momen- trading, momentum yeah. is, the, trading is the classic. Completely, yes. yeah. It's, it's a strategy that wins every time, but you can't trade it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just too expensive <laughs> well, look, to implement. The other thing about you know momentum is you know it's all very well putting in the putting in the uh, you know the historical results, but you know. Sticking your dealing costs and your spreads and all that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Shall we quickly talk about Barrett? Because you mentioned it very briefly there in, in the context of cyclicality. And, and it, as, as, as you mentioned earlier, Algie, it kind of was in the old style large cap quality screen. And it did, it's done surprisingly well this year. I mean, most of the time we talk about house builders on this podcast, it's in a very gloomy context, but these numbers looked okay. Is it, is, how is Barrett, Barrett bucking what seems to be a, you know, quite a difficult time for, for this industry? I don't think they're bucking it. No? I think, I think, I just think that just, if you look at, if you look at most of the, if you look at most of the house builders, they, they seem to just be eking out some modest profit growth. The trends, the trends are quite similar in that volume, selling more houses is getting harder to do and selling them for more. I getting selling prices to go up seems to be getting really difficult, and the builders always quant. You know, you look at their average selling price on their private housing. You've got to strip out the affordable and social housing element of this. From what I've been seeing out over the last few weeks, that average selling price inflation is very sluggish, and they'll say, "Oh well, we've changed the type of house we're selling," but I'm not sure I completely buy that. I think we've had a situation in in this market where. Uh, new build selling prices have gone up so much now and that they are so far out of kilter with existing stock in, in nearby neighbourhoods that these these builders cannot put their prices up anymore. Mm. Um, and you marry that up with build cost inflation of 3-4% and um, it's very, very difficult to, uh, to, to increase your profits. What Barrett's done here... Uh, which has eked out about a four and a half percent increase in full year profits to yeah pretty big number now I think it was nine hundred and one million I think their operating profit was for the for the year to june um they're built they they're playing around with their their designs they're trying to eat they're trying to sort of get building efficiencies cut some costs um and build more efficiently now that should that's not always a good thing as we've seen. <laughs> Um, their shares have done very well in the past twelve months. When you, yeah, you know, certainly relative to some of the other house builders. Yeah, I think they've not had the clouds over them that say a persimmon has or a, a bovis has. 
and they have been trying to grow by volume rather than price. And what what is very clear from looking at Barrett's and other builders actually is that they have got a lot of profit in their land bank. They are very very bullish about about their land bank. That they are first first and foremost they're running quite short land banks. This is this is the this is the reassuring thing for for shareholders is that if you are going into a downturn, you're not sitting on ten years worth of land. You're sitting on four years worth of land if you're Barrett's a little bit more if you can if you so you've got about just under four years of stuff that you own, a little under a year of stuff that you've got an option over or control over. You're not sitting on massive land banks which leave you very vulnerable if the if the if the weather changes in, in terms of the market. And they're you know, they're saying that they've got land here that's making twenty three percent gross margin, twenty five percent return on capital. Which which business owner wouldn't wouldn't want that? And you've got a market that's still supported by help to buy until twenty twenty three, unless you get a change of government and a change of policy, which is always possible. But well, almost probable at the moment. Yeah, whether I, whether <laughs> I, the Labour Party are even more bullish on were even more bullish on it than the Conservatives at the last election. They wanted to keep it until twenty twenty seven in their manifesto. The one thing you have got is you've still got this build cost inflation, but you know if 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 Barrett's just kept the level of level of houses that they bought and that they built and sold flat, they would still make very good money. Mm. And you know they're not on a high rating. You know as long as the market stays intact and you don't get a big downturn, then if you're a shareholder in Barrett's, no matter what I think about the whole help to buy thing, if you look at the facts. Then, as long as things hold up, then this is a business that looks like it's still going to keep churning out pretty steady, steady profits, steady cash flow, decent dividend. Yeah, absolutely. We we prefer the brickmakers though at the uh, the Investors Chronicle. I know you do, Phil. But yeah. um, we have got Mitchell Mersh results yeah, in, uh, this they, week's mag. Yeah, we've got them on a buy. I like Mitchell. I like all of them actually. Ibstock and uh, Forterra as well, which mm-hmm. I think was one of our tips for the year. Yes, yes, yeah. it was. Um, it was. I think the UK brick market looks, you know, again, if you look at it from the perspective of a business owner, looks really good. I mean, you've got you've got very low stock levels. You've got a house building market that is well supported by subsidy. You've got demand greater than supply, mm-hmm. and um, and no more supply coming. Really, you've got imports limited. coming, but that's good for Mitchell Merce because mm-hmm. they've bought a yeah. Belgian brick company, so they'll they'll be shipping things in from Belgium. You know, you have to look at bricks. I think the cost of bricks, the overall brick cost, is in terms of the actual cost of the house, is about one percent. So it's not; it's something that you've got a bit of pricing power on, and the builder's not going to really kick back too much. So it's looking pretty good. The thing I like about this, these types of businesses, yes, they're cyclical. Um, you have got quite a decent repairs and maintenance side to it, which gives you a little bit of support. But what you've got is that you've got these three companies that own clay assets that make it very difficult to compete with. You know, if you don't own the if you don't own the clay pits and the and the uh, reserves of clay, you can't you can't really make bricks at a competitive price. You know, and Mitch, uh, Mitchell Mertz has got uh, six point four million tons of clay and twenty years of supply on on one hundred twenty five million bricks a year that that to me is 
kind of business I wouldn't mind having a slice of. Maybe it goes back to the conversation we had a couple of weeks back uh, about, you know, possible uh, UK takeover targets. This this looks nice. Yeah, this to me, I mean, it's 80, about 87 million market cap. This is also um, a sector that's, you know, there's been a lot of takeovers and changes yeah. of ownership. I mean, for terror has changed hands three times in the last 15 years. And, you know, it started out, was Hanson Brick. And then I think it got bought by Semex or someone, or Heidelberg or Cement, I think. And then it then it became Fortel. I think private equity owned it. Mm. Yeah, the, I, I think these are nice businesses. Yes, the, yes, they will have their ups and downs, but they own incredibly scarce assets. Mm-hmm. I like them. We like bricks, not concrete so much. <laughs> should we uh, should we round off by talking about exercise, my favourite subject? Uh, I do loads of it. <laughs> <laughs> As you can tell by my felt yes, figure. Um, the sector focus, let's talk about the sector focus, which is about the fitness market in the UK, which apparently is massive, I'm told. I know you love a bit of... Uh, Bit of exercise, Phil. These days, yes. What's going on here? So we've got, we've got the gym group, which is listed in London. Yeah. <clears throat> Quite a pretty successful business. Um, there was another one that was, another gym company was due to float pure gym, but I think markets got a bit rocky earlier this year when that was going to happen. And now in the US, we've got a really big one coming, which is Peloton. Yeah. Which is the sort of cycling fitness. The Netflix of cycling or something, they call it. What do you think about this one? I wouldn't touch it with a bathroom. <laughs> 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 not even as a not even as a as a as a participant. No, not even certainly not as a participant, which is why I wouldn't touch it as a stock. Why not? I think T- product, tell us why. I think the product's incredibly expensive for starters. I think uh, I mean I'm not sure of the exact figures, but I think you're looking at best part of two thousand quid for the bike, and then you're looking at about forty forty pounds a month. Subscription. You've looked at it, you've looked at it as a possible customer, then. No, just out of pure nerdiness and interest. Because I know your your other great passion is cycling, cycling and rowing. I'm more into rowing at the moment. Oh, you into rowing? Okay. But I, yeah, but I am a big cycling fan. Yeah. Um, I, read indoor... I read your tweets, Phil. It's either it's either how much you love cycling, <laughs> something about investment, or how much you hate Genduzi of Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> Steady on. I, I, I was singing his praise for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did well. Okay. I think, so I hear. I can't be. So I hear. You know, when the facts change, you change your mind. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, indoor fitness, cycling, indoor cycling. I mean, we all know that you know, or some of us know that in a lot of parts of the country, you go out on your bike and you t- literally t- take your life in your hands. That's why I don't do it, and that's why I increasingly don't do it outdoors, and. You've seen phenomenal growth in marrying up this big popularity of cycling with technology where there's nothing worse than going in your garage, sticking your bike on a turbo trainer or a set of rollers and trying to pedal. It oh, is, no, it is nothing incred- worse. It is incredibly... <laughs> it is incredible. Well, I over-exaggerate there, but it is incredibly boring. And so what, what these fitness companies are trying to do is they're trying to make it a bit more interesting. And so they they're making they're getting they're marrying up fitness with the tech, so it becomes interactive. So you can interact with the fitness program and other people. You can race other people. You can train with other people, and that's how you get people onto these products. And Peloton is trying to do it with sort of interactive spinning classes, where you 
can be sitting and you sit if you've seen the advert on the TV, it's a lady peddling away whilst her baby's playing with or kids playing with the toys and she's got some bloke on the other end of the screen <laughs> <laughs> telling her how to spin. Okay. And um That's great. <laughs> yeah, and um you know, making it look great. Um but it's very expensive. There's a lot of competition in this market. Um, another another company that's been advertising extensively is a company called Zwift, where you link your bike up to a bit of software and you have it on a television screen and you have interactive racing and you can race with people around the world. Incredibly competitive. In fact, it mm. is because Zwift has become so popular that there has been a rumour that the, uh, the Giro d'Italia, uh, which is the second biggest cycling race in the world after the Tour de France, has even been mulling the idea of starting the race with a Zwift time trial, um, where they all race each other on a computer, and the first leader is based on a Zwift um, a Zwift time trial. It's a bit like eSports yeah, it's, meets, it's, the, it's, meets it's the real thing. Yeah, it yeah. is. It is. And I think this is, this, is a, this is a big theme. I think cycling, indoor exercise, you just go on the internet, there are huge amounts of people exercising indoors, not just in gyms, but in their garages, and anything which makes it more interesting, more exciting, um, I think is going to be very popular. You do, you, you do some kind of interactive thing with your rowing, though. You mentioned that the other day. Yeah. Rowing against... Uh... I don't row against anybody, but I've got an app which records it all. Right. Um Go head to head with Stephen Redgrave. No, not 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 yet. Actually, I'll probably give him a run for his money at the moment. Actually, wow. Um, depending how fit he is. I mean, my my, my experience of the uh, of the the fitness market, uh, which is very limited indeed. But but as an analyst, as as a stock market observer, I remember when there was a big big surge of fitness mm. coming to market, probably 10, 15 years okay, ago, the, maybe a bit yeah. more, and they it didn't end well. Let, let's let's take a step back on this and just look at it how you should look at any investment. And you say, look, how much competition is there? Mm. This is the most One important the most important question here. Where's the competition? The answer is there's lots of it. There's lots of it. Um, you've got literally new products being launched every week in this space. Um, Peloton. I've not really had a close look at it. I, I read something maybe a week or so ago, and I think there's a lot of red ink over this business. I don't think it's making any money. It's not making money. It's making huge losses. And I think and that, there's and been that, some issues, questions over, yeah, over the, the numbers. The, as well. This is a business, really. You know, it's like Uber, and it's like making loads of lo- loads of losses. It's selling a story, and it's something that an investor in my opinion should shouldn't even go anywhere near what what about something like the gym group which is obviously the uk listed and, and you know, this model is different it's low cost gym memberships um seems to be doing very well it's you know would you say could you look at that and think okay there is there is something here you know this is uh possibly i've not looked at it i've not looked at it so that's your homework phil yeah, i mean there's, there's I, think, still, I think there's still growth in the market, which, um, from from what they're saying anyway, which suggests there's still money to be made for the time being. There's not. It's a saturation point, isn't it? When they've all got their, you know, they're kind of up to the eyeballs with their leases and you know maintenance of you know the actual gyms, and then suddenly they don't start, you know. 
Oh, it started losing. Um, are they expensive customers. to write? I mean, the equip, you know, you've obviously got the well, these, I mean, the, the model and... is that these are incredibly cheap by comparison to, um, you know, the, you know, the, the predecessor gyms. So I, I think, you know, you have 24 hour access and you have some kind of, you know, cards, you which just, in. yeah, you know, they, you hardly see anyone when you're in there apart from the other gym goers and, um, so they yeah and, and they've got a, and there's there's certain footprints which they want in terms of the property they're buying which make them you know very cheap to run but i mean it's not i i don't know if there's anything so special about putting this together that means uh, you know people aren't going to compete away the margins which is the exactly time. what happened. and then and then you're then you're you know you're locked in there because you've got your estate and um you know you still you need you, a lot of customers yeah. to make it work you know if you i mean i i i get it if if, if i can totally understand the the proposition to the customer because one thing that puts a lot of people off gyms and the many things that put people off gyms but one of it's the cost you know the the monthly cost if you can get something which is affordable then you can see right away that's something that will pique consumer interest but you know you do have overhead and you need you know if you're if you're going at a lower pricing point you've got to you've got to get Get, you've got to make reasonable money by selling to a lot of customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if there's a lot of competition, then, well, then then essentially they sort of can compete away the margin. Yeah, and I think if you get people, if you make it easier as well for people to train at home, you know, people train in their spare rooms or garages so they don't have to go out and they can do it for, you know, modest modest outlay, that's, that's also a threat. But as I say, I've not, I've not delved into this. It's it's interesting. It's it's a massive growing market. It's I know. Interesting I, business model. I I, I <laughs> think it's uh, it's definitely something we should pay more attention to. It's it's a real trend. I mean, it's, and it seems to be the sort of opposite trend to say the pub trend, which is going the other way. I think a lot. Yeah, I still go to the pub. Incidentally, that's that's my exercise. Of, negative you know, correlation. A lot of young people, you know, getting into this. I think you've got a lot of a sort of older people getting into sort of cycling and stuff. Mm. Um. Still, and, still, still, and pubs and pubs closing. But no, but, the, it is the it is the negative correlation. But you know, perfect. health and fitness is. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe. I mean, I just did my own sort of age group, sort of circle of friends. A lot of people go to the gym who you know maybe for the last twenty years have been not doing much exercise at all. So it's definitely you know just look at the growth in the, you know the personal trainer type market as well. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that's a different income set, different demographic. But it's, the, the trend is definitely there. But as we as we know with investing, sometimes the trend, the macro trend, doesn't doesn't mean that you can necessarily make money out of it. Well, it, just, it becomes a, it becomes a great narrative that that you know sort of overhyped investments get pinned on. And, yeah, you, you can know. definitely raise money at IPO on a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on a got, story like that. You've got your, yeah, macro, you've got your macro market level, and then you've but you know you're not dealing. That's that's what you need. You need is that's your following wind, as you say. That's your sort of rolling road. But you need to you need to to harvest that. You need the micro side of it to be to support it. So you need. I always say, you know, if I explain this to my kids, you're looking at you know. The start. One of them starting to get interested in investing. Wow, it's mm. good. And and you know when I when I talk to him, I say, look, what what's good about this, Dan? And I say, well, it does something that not a lot of others do. And I said, you've got to look for something, a business that does something that isn't being copied by lots of others. I'm not sure that this space 
ticks that box. Mm, absolutely. That's enough talk about fitness. It's making me feel like I ought to get out and do something. Um, let's, uh, let us let me just talk you through what's in uh, the rest of the magazine. Um, so we haven't talked about Phil's column, which is about negative interest rates and what investors can do about them. Uh, we have discussed that We've on this that podcast death, we, uh, several times. We have indeed. We have uh, lots of the personal finance and funds section, uh, including a look at equity income funds, which is actually part potentially of the solution to negative interest rates. Bearball's written a double-length column following up actually on our conversation about potential UK takeover targets uh, resulting from the weak pound. And John Barron is in this week and he's actually looking at the UK as well and why perhaps it has been oversold. Lots of results in the mag, lots of news and uh, a really quite interesting feature from uh, Daniel Liberto on cash hoarding. So companies that basically sit on too much cash and why that could potentially be a bad thing for your returns. So uh, thank you, Algy. Thank you, Phil. And thank, thank you. you all for listening. Pick up the magazine, All Good News Agents, Cash Hoarders, Why Frugal Companies Could Be Hitting Your Returns. And we'll be back again next week. Thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.